Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this lesson we have in Hebrews chapter 10. And and God, I just pray that uh, your word uh, challenges us and encourages us. And Lord, I just pray that tonight would be just a really good opportunity to get to know what you expect of us and to, to really, Lord, just a, it's going to be hard at times tonight, Lord, but it's also going to be really good at times tonight. And that's what this text is. And I just pray, Lord, that we'll, we'll that we each of us would receive it and that we won't fight your word. We'll just take it in and receive it and that you would be glorified by this class tonight. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Yes, it's Mick texting me coffee. I need to take a drink. What I've learned is caffeine always helps. <laughs> so, and then I can mute everybody because I'm all right. All right, there we go. Okay, so we are in Hebrews 10, 1 to 39. Yeah, it's a lot of verses, but you know what? We'll just put our big boy pants on and go for it. Uh, here I am, 10, 1 to 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same practice sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, it can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? That's kind of like that line. It's when you find something as, oh, it's always in the last place you look. Well, of course, because you don't find something and go, you know what, now that I found it, just for just for the sake of, of, of everything, let me just keep looking for it for the next 20 minutes. You know, you've already found it. You know, it, of course, it's in the last place you look. So if they um, can never make perfect, then why would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he says, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in, in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So I like what he does there. It's like this, like this, this author of Hebrews is like a preacher. He reads the word and then he kind of gives you his thoughts on the word. And so there's something, so if that, you're looking at that going, well, that kind of seemed repetitious. Well, he was reading the word. He was proclaiming the word of God to you. And then he was talking about it. Here's what he meant by that. So here I am. Uh, it's impossible. What's impossible? It is impossible for the law to save you. It's impossible for the law to do anything but condemn you. And the law hurts. The law reveals that you're a lawbreaker. And who wants, to, who wants that? Who, who is encouraged by that? So that by itself doesn't save anything. It'd be like uh, having the uh, you taking your car into the mechanic and the mechanic saying, "Well, here's what here's what the problem is." Well, 
I'm not going to solve it for you. I, I just, I just diagnosed it for you. So now, you know, um, but you know, send you on your merry way and like, no, wait a minute, I need a break job or I need that. You, I, I need you to fix it. You already got it in there. You already probably charged me for the diagnosis. What I just want to pay you for the diagnosis and then leave. Are you kidding me? That's all the law does. The law just reveals your problem. The law just condemns you. The law just reveals that you're a lawbreaker. It's necessary, but it just doesn't really accomplish much in terms of your salvation. It, it just, you know, it, it just reveals what needs, what, what's causing you not to be saved, the causing you the issues at hand here. And so that's just, there's an impossibility about the law. So it's a natural question at this point to ask this of God. So God, if that whole first covenant stuff wasn't really going to accomplish anything, like fully and finally, like the way the second covenant does, the new covenant with, with Jesus, the cross, um, that truly accomplishes. We, we've been talking about that. Why didn't you just go right to that? Now, this is me pushing back on the Bible right now. This is me pushing back on God's plan of salvation just for one second. I hope you don't mind. This is like going to God and say, so God, why wasn't that your first move? Why didn't you just go right to the gospel? Why didn't you go right to the cross? Why didn't you go and present this where someone's actually taking away of sin and, and fully paying for sin? Why, God? Why did you go through the first covenant? I mean, I get how it all plans out, but why didn't you just go to the second? Because it says here, he sets aside the first to establish the second. So why didn't you just go to the second, God? I've been thinking about that this afternoon. It was just really sitting, it was sticking in my craw. Like, God, why didn't you do it that way? If your plan, since your plan is perfect, since you have only a plan A, not a plan B, why in the world was that your plan A? And yeah, it's, you know, Mick texted in the law and the prescribed sacrifice serve as a placeholder. It does. But the law has a power that the gospel doesn't have. And that's kind of a hard sentence to say. The law's power is, well, when I used to, I used to be the mad scientist. I used to do this mad scientist routine with some uh, elementary school kids. I'd come in, I'd do some, I'd have a funny voice and I, I and I would just kind of, uh, I would do, I would do uh, science experiments in class and the science experiments would illustrate the gospel. I was the mad scientist because I was mad about Jesus. Okay, They're, that kind of thing. The kids ate it up. The, the women I worked with, they, they all, okay. It was a part of uh, child evangelism fellowship. It was a good news club after a school. Okay, it was really cool. But I always did the gospel this way. I held up a sheet of paper and on one side of the paper, it said bad news. And I flipped it, it was a good news. And I shared the gospel that way. You don't appreciate the good news without the bad news. And the gospel really gives you no bad news. It's only bad if you break it or don't do it. The law, the law really only gives you bad news. So that's how I got my answer today. Why God did it the way he did it. He had to set that stage where being a sinner was evident, but it was not enough to save. Knowing where you were with God would convict you to want something, to desire something more, and to desire the answer, which is be grace salvation, payment, a substitute. And, and, and the way it worked out was a substitute took your place. So it was communicating things like it's a shadow. Your shadow communicates a lot about you, but it has no substance. 
your shadow is, is it communicates a lot, but it just has no substance. That's the law. When it comes to your salvation, it has no substance. It can't do it. The law makes us aware of our sin and our inability to meet God's requirements. The former rituals and burnt offerings were imperfect and therefore had to be repeated. Only a perfect offering can meet God's requirements. Christ bore our sins to reconcile us with him. Mick, you're spot on. Daniel takes in, remember the 40 years in the wilderness, no matter how much the Lord did for them, they were never satisfied. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, so it's impossible. What's God's desire? Uh, he's quoting here uh, Psalm 46 to 8. Um, where sacrifice and, and, and offerings you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me. And what's really cool about that is he, he, the author of Hebrews is saying, no, that's Jesus talking right there. And what he could mean by that is, I mean, you could go all Trinitarian history, Father, Son, Holy. is there anything the Father saying that the Son and the Spirit are also not saying three in one, God, you know, okay. Or is it like, okay, Jesus is like taking that upon himself. Like a body you prepare for me, he's the word made flesh. And so burnt offerings, sin offerings, you were not pleased. Like at the end of the day, it's like these sacrifices aren't what please God. It's the heart. There's something about drawing the worshiper back to himself that pleases God. And God's desire is revealed in these verses. Here I am. I've come to do your will, God. Wow. He set aside the first to establish the second. So I put here, God set aside the impossible and he established the possible. It's okay. The sacrificial system is impossible to save. We're going to complete that now. That's going to be done because it's going to be fulfilled and completed once for all. So now what's possible? Let's now establish that. We're going to set aside the impossible and establish the possible. The author of Hebrews has the mic drop moment there. He set aside the first to establish the second. Hmm. Oh, did I? You know what? That was uh, that long thing I read. Looks like that came from from Sandy. Well done. I, it, it was it was such a long comment that I, I missed the top part of where your name was. Well, how about that? Cain's sacrifice wasn't satisfactory because of his heart. Well, that was, that's Daniel. Yes, that's right. It's his heart. And it wasn't because God doesn't like produce. It's, 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 his heart wasn't it. And how, how we know that? Because God immediately comes after his heart. Cain has a heart issue. And that heart is corrupt and wicked. And God says, hey, sin's crouching right there. Pay attention. You know, it wants to have you. It wants to dominate you, but you know, enough already. And so Cain had a heart issue, and that was revealed in the fact that, that it wasn't behind his worship. All right. So here I am. He sat down, 10, 11 to, 20, 11 to 18. Day after day, every, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Think about that for one second. The tabernacle had no chairs. Ain't nobody sitting down. The priest is standing. I've done that before. I'm standing, of course. Everyone's done that. But I, I've, I, I remember working on an assembly line. You know, I, I sit a lot at my job now, but I used to be on my feet all the time. I've done the waiter. I wasn't a waiter. I was more of a, 
a bus boy or a dining attendant. I was always walking around all the time for like hour after hour, never leaving my feet, working the assembly line. I was, I was there at my station, nonstop standing. The priest here always has to stand. There's no chairs in the tabernacle. He ain't sitting down. Christ sat down. Woo. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. By the way, don't just toss that out. What's he saying there? He's saying the Bible is the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is a great theology verse right here. The Holy Spirit's the one talking about this. He's going to be talking about... Um, uh, Jeremiah 31, he's saying, no, 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 Jeremiah wrote it down, but the Holy Spirit's the one who said it. Don't you dare forget that. Well, what's he say? The Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We talked about this last week. He's just, he's repeating here because it's that important. So he sat down. So what are three things Jesus has got going on here? Number one, he waits. He's waiting for history to be fully and finally done. He's waiting for the enemies to be made his footstool. It pictures he's not just sitting down. He's waiting to have that, uh, what is that, an ottoman? He's waiting for that little footstool thing, the credenza, whatever it is. That he's going to prop his feet up on. Dang. You go, Jesus. He wants to have his enemies be his footstool. Yummy. He's waiting. But we know he's at work. We've already learned that Jesus is at work right now, interceding for each of us. He sanctifies, making us holy. Sanctification is, is, is a past event. You were made holy. You were reconciled to God in your salvation. But it, it's progressively happening, being more like Jesus and less like you. As John the Baptist would say, Jesus is increasing and you're decreasing. And so it has an already an ongoing nature and he officiates. I've officiated weddings. I've officiated funerals. I've officiated various things. And um, yeah, what's Jesus officiating? Officiating is a better word than saying he's priesting. I mean, he's, what's what he's doing? He's, he's priesting. He's being a priest but not the priest of an old covenant like Aaron, but the priest of the new covenant. And he's the only priest there is of that new covenant. He's the only mediator we, we have and need, but he's mediating. So mediating would be another way to put it, but he's just officiating this covenant. He's making this work. He's doing it. That's what he's going on here. That's what these, uh, these two Jeremiah references tell us. And that he is, the, these, the law is written on our hearts. Sin is no longer, it's going to be a present reality, but it's going to be handled. It's not like, oh, here's more stuff coming. Here's, it's kind of like I remember when um, I've, I've gone through some, some flooding, like especially when I lived, when I lived, in, um, lived in Prospect Heights, we would flood a lot. And it was, I remember one, one time where, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a little, little carpet vacuum thing where it sucks up like a gallon at a time and you dump it out and do it again. Okay. 
And I was doing that. And I all of a sudden we started taking on more water, but I wasn't too concerned. I'm like, well, I'm already down here. I've already moved everything out of the basement. Now it's just me and the carpet and, you know, here it is and fans. And so at that point, you're not adding more on my plate that I can't handle. I'm already there. It's going to make me work longer. It's going to be a, you know, greater pain in my butt. Fine. But it's like, I'm already, it's not like all of a sudden the house is on fire and I got to choose what, what am I going to do? No, I'm already here. So it's like, Jesus is there. He's taking care of his business and that business is making us holy. And a business is, is taking care of our sins and we have hope there. And that's amazing. The very fact that he sat down means that he's not doing the heavy work anymore. He's not sitting there going, well, she sinned again. So now I got to crawl back up on that cross and I've got, you know, or boy, he just can't give this up. So maybe I got to worry about this. No, he sat down once for all. Huge, huge. Therefore, we. Here I am, he sat down. Therefore, we. This is nice. This is the nice, encouraging part of our text tonight, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, mm, just pause there for one second. Mm, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. We have confidence. It's kind of a cool thing. How can you just pray? How can you just pray? Don't you know who God is? You expect that God to care about you? Doesn't he have so many other things to worry about? Why would God want to listen to your words? Why would God care about what you have, what's on your heart? I mean, something that's even just inside of you, not even outside, like as a crisis. But it's a, why would God care? Why would the creator of everything give a rip about you? That's a huge question. That question keeps people from, from all of a sudden like, well, I, why? that's a good question. Why would God care about me? Because of the blood of Christ. You can have confidence that you can approach God. You. I'm not talking about you, the all-star. I'm talking about you, the broken, humble mess. You can approach God because of the blood of Christ. Because what Christ Jesus did on your behalf, you now are with him. So God doesn't just see you, who he does love. He sees you redeemed. Your sin is no longer getting in the way that it once did. Because Jesus took it upon himself. Yeah, God wants us in fellowship with him, Mick. Yes, indeed. So you can have confidence. Like, you actually can have confidence. You have a great high priest. Amen. Amen. Let's draw near. A sincere heart. 
Wow. That isn't just a, a prayer. That isn't as well. I'll just say certain words and all of a sudden God will just hear my words and I'll be okay. No, this is you actually saying, I can draw near to God. I mean, every once in a while, you know, my daughter gets scared and she just wants to come sit next to me. And just being next to this big hunk of daddy is like, that's calming for her. That's all she needs. She just draws next to me. That's it. I pray in my son's room before he goes to sleep at night. I stick my head in there and I, 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 I turn the light on, turn it off. And okay, good night, son. Let me pray for you. That's all he needs. He needs that moment where daddy just prays, where daddy's just near for one second. Now he can just relax. We can draw near to God. We actually can't. It's like draw near in your heart. Say, God, I'm really going through a tough time right now. I just need to get close to you. And it's a scary thing. That's what I need. It's like that song, you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. Nice, man. Nice. Hold the hope. Hold unswervingly. <laughs> this isn't you on the icy road going, I remember driving to a doctor's appointment. It was so icy out. I was driving in one direction. And I tapped the brakes and it was so slick that I literally spun completely around and was facing the other direction in the lane I was in. And so thankfully no other cars were out. Otherwise they'd have been like, hey, look at that. There's his headlights. <laughs> I just saw his taillights and now there's his headlights. I was in the complete opposite direction in the right lane. It was that bad. That was swerving. We hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess. Wow. We actually get to have hope. That's what sets Christians apart. We get hope. We get hope and assurance. That's why every Christian funeral is different because we grieve, yes, but we grieve with hope. And that is not a small thing. It's a huge thing. Every funeral where someone's not a believer, it's just there's there's that elephant in the room somewhere. So where's he at, Pastor? We know because he was rotten or she was rotten, and we just know that she never professed Christ. She wanted nothing to do with Christ. Where's he at? There's no good answer. So, well, I don't know. God's in control and God's the judge. It's not my place, but I tell you what, you're still here. Let's talk about you now. Let's talk about those of us who are here now and what our response is. See, that's all we can do in that moment. A Christian funeral, it's like, well, we're going to see him again. We're going to see her again. And they are with Jesus right now. And they have no more pain. And they have no more suffering. Their death was tragic, but and we miss them. But, you know, we know where they are. And we know that one day we will be with them. And that is so much hope. So much joy in the midst of our loss that a non-Christian funeral just doesn't have. So we hold unswervingly to that hope. Don't, don't, don't just skip over that because it sounds nice. That is actually massively, massively huge. Consider. Well, what are we considering? Draw near. Sincere heart. Full assurance of faith brings. Having a heart sprinkled to cleanse. So he's, he's going to baptism here. 
He's reminding us of our salvation, reminding us of the public proclamation of that salvation. And it's just something about, yeah, it's our bodies are being, you know, the, the washing is like symbolizing that, but it's really our insides that are being purified by Jesus. Okay. So he's going to that, this, this, this faith that we have, that he who the, the, hold on swervingly to, to this hope. Let us now consider verse 24, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's your presence in someone else's life, Christian. How may you bless that other person by giving them the direction they need? So they would then love and have good deeds. Do you have that influence? This is an influence verse. Consider what influence you have with someone else and utilize, leverage that influence for God's glory. Consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together. This hurts. We're in the midst of a pandemic still. Many people haven't gone back to church and they miss it. I miss it. I wish we were in person right now with all my heart. I wish I was having to travel to different locations like before. I wish my brother Mick here could be teaching this live right now as I'm teaching this live. We missed that. We missed that. We missed that. We missed that. I miss being in a room with each of you. As a big class, it was great. Now imagine that in a time where there was no pandemic. When your only excuse not to meet with each other was you were discouraged and you didn't want to meet. You actually liked your life not as a part of the church, or you did the church for a while, then all of a sudden life got different or, or busy or complicated, or, you know, and so you give up meeting as some, are, as some do, as it says here. Hope and faith ultimately conquer fear and doubt. Okay, lovely Daniel. Make, uh, the idea behind spurs to positively challenge each other. That's great. I mean, it's, I'm sure it doesn't feel too great when, when, when the cowboy uses it on the horse, but the, the horse that goes in the right direction. Hmm. Because it, yeah, because it, it's an irritate. How can, you, how can you influence somebody, even if it might irritate them, but it's for, for their benefit and for the God's glory? That's, that'd be something you might want to think about, is the influence that God has given you, how can you leverage that for God's glory? And maybe that be using your story for God's glory. Maybe it's you being you know, humble and, and just being honest with people and genuine. I don't know what that means in your life. But these are things that let us consider that. You need to consider how God uses you. And if you're the kind of person that's very judgmental, for, for example, and that when you confront somebody, it doesn't do anybody any good, maybe confronting is not your thing. Maybe you shouldn't have said serve. In fact, a good, a good rule is, however, if you have a character defect, do the opposite. Why can't I struggle with my language? Well, speak differently. Start doing other things. I struggle with impatience. Practice being patient. There's things about you, just do the opposite and start working on that. Give up encouraging. Amen. Getting out of our comfort zones. Amen. So now the hard part. The Lord will judge. I put here, there's a verse from 1 John 2 that kind of fits here with the context. 
It says, uh, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Because you're going to be reading this, and you're going to say to yourself, this is the fourth time now he's talked about a, a falling away or an apostas apostasizing of some sorts. And you're going, how in the world? I thought that we were once saved and always saved. I, I, what are you talking about, Joel? That, well, think about it this way. In 1 John 2, John said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, that's not fortune cookie logic. That's saying, you know, the fact that they left means that they probably weren't here in the first place. Because how could you just leave? Okay. Yeah, good comment here, Daniel. Judgment is the last thing that we as Christians should do. We fight not against flesh and blood, but the powers and principles. Yeah, we're, we're, the last thing you or I should be doing is judging. But we are to be encouraging one another, spurring one another on for good deeds, not giving up meeting. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's a great, great thing to do is Church 101. It's Christian Relationships 101. Men, if you've got a man in your life that you meet with, you talk to a friend, he's, he's really struggling with something. At some point, you got to have the, the gumption to be able to say, knock it off. Women, you got a woman meeting with you. You have to, have to have the ability to say, hold on here, sister. What's going on here? This eventually has to stop. You know, to be able to have that in relationship with somebody enough where you can actually be real with each other. And you can actually just be genuine and say, you know what? This needs to stop and this needs to start. And they have the power to do the same thing with you. Hey, you know what? This needs to stop. That's critical. It's critical. It's not just people who are in recovery that need that. It's all of us that need that. We need that kind of friend in our life. We need that kind of person in our life that we're not going to just get triggered and run away when they, when they speak truth to us. We're going to say, you know, you've got that audience. Anytime you need to, you've got that audience. Anytime it needs to happen, go for it. The Lord will judge 26 to 31. I'm not going to promise these verses are going to be happy. They're probably not going to make you feel good inside, but I'm going to read them. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Let that sink in for one second. Yeah, I, it, it, make, make, good, good point, Mick. He, he corrected my recovery line. The truth is we are all in recovery. Amen. It's not just for people working the 12 steps. We'll say that. Amen. Amen. I'm with you. It's like the author of Hebrews is saying, um, yeah, so you've professed Christ, you've accepted his payment for you, and yet you keep going. What payments left? Now, it's hard to know if he's being literal there or not, but it raises a great point. Paul would wrestle with this. Hey, grace is here. Can I keep sinning? It's like, no, the point of grace is not that you keep sinning. Like, Yay, I get to sin again, so I can be forgiven again. Yay, I'm sinning again. That was my life 20 years ago. What a horrible, horrible way to look at life. It was like I was taking Jesus and putting him on the cross again and again and again. I was doing what's in these verses right here, especially as I bowed down to certain sins in my own life. As I, as, as I profess Christ as a Christian, are you kidding me? I was living these verses. I still look back and go, why? How could God use me? How could God use? How could God? I mean, I, this is before I was a pastor. I was in college. I'm looking at this going, oh, 
God, how did you have a plan for me? I mean, me, I, look what I did. I mean, look at these things. Oh, God, I was living these verses. These verses hurt. But because they hurt, I have hope. God's brought me through these verses. There's no sacrifice for sins left, verse 27, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Ouch. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So they said, okay, he did this and you got witnesses. Okay, well, you're dead now. It's like there are certain things like capital punishment. Boom, corporal punishment. Boom, there it is. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then a verse that should rock you to the core. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is not a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the Baals because they are not living. In a metaphysical sense, they are not. They're just not. Not as they think they are. They're, they're as, you know, various deities. No, they're not. They just, they just aren't. You can't really pray to them. They're not God. They're not even gods. They're just not. There's nobody in God's category but God. Hmm. Well, deliberate abandonment. Deliberate trampling. Deliberate triviality and deliberate insult. You'll notice he's quoting Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 135. A deliberate abandonment. I go back to 1 John 2. How could you abandon Jesus? The one who paid everything for you. I don't... <laughs> The tension here is, is that you can't just say like I want to say. I don't think you can. Because there's a tension here. And that tension keeps Arminians and, and, and uh, like Calvinists and Arminians talking to each other and debating about this. Because there is a tension there. You go back to 1 John 2. It's like, are, are you sure you were there? Are you sure you were on Team Jesus? Because someone who's on Team Jesus doesn't do that. That doesn't make sense. It's like, an, like a spiritual or faith or gospel non sequitur. It just doesn't make sense anymore. A deliberate abandoning. Wow. Keeping on saying, this isn't like you're just stumbling into your sin. Like, oh, you know what? Uh, temptation hit me and a boy, I just, I, I'm sorry, I just did it. Or um, oh, I just faltered, boy, I just, I just tripped up, boy, it, it got me, you win Satan that round, okay, you got, no, this isn't that. Or, I mean, this is choosing to live for yourself behind a Christian veneer. This is full-on hypocrisy. This is like, yeah, I'm claiming Christ, but I'm not really denying myself. See, that hurts, because that was me. 
that was tall. That totally was me. I was the prince of my youth group. My youth pastors all loved me. And they had no idea that I had the worst mouth with all my friends, all my non-Christian friends. I cussed worse than any of them. Seriously? It's like, did Jesus die for me or did he not? And it's like, you said you accepted his sacrifice. Have you? Now be done with it. It's like a deliberate abandonment. It's like, hey, I'm not even there. I'm just keeping on with me. It's like Jesus is kind of like a Band-Aid that if it falls off, well, it's only a Band-Aid. Seriously? How about a deliberate trampling? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, lip service. It's like God is a deliberate trampling. It's like the son of God there. It's the judge. And he's, I, I treat him like he's not the judge. I pay him lip service, but I don't really. I don't really follow it. This hurts. A deliberate abandonment, a deliberate trampling, a triviality. What's that? Okay, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died. Okay, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished? Yes, uh, who has treated, trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant was sanctified them. Wow, that's the most holy thing possible. The blood of Jesus, who sanctified you, made you holy, and you're just like, feh, whatever. Yeah, it's just one of many things. If it was the thing, you would live differently. I'm talking to younger me right now. I'm beating the crap out of younger me right now. And that's not fair. I wish younger me would have read this chapter and actually done it. You know, that's, I can't look back at my past that way. God used my past. God uses yours. God has brought you through the seasons. He has brought you through for a reason. I know because I'm here. And I'm not six feet underground. The wages of sin is death. Thank God for his grace. He breathed life into a corpse that is me. Ephesians chapter 2. Is by grace we are saved. Because if it was by our efforts, oh, I'd be screwed. I think you'd be too. Good point here, Mick. He says, I prefer rejection over abandonment. Abandonment suggests they actually were a part of it. Rejection means they never accepted. That probably helps us sleep a little bit better. Like a deliberate rejection. Deliberate triviality. Well, thank you, Daniel. God uses what the enemy means for evil and he turns it for good. Yeah, that's that's Joseph's story in Genesis. By the way, um, I'm feeling a burning within me. It has nothing to do with the COVID vaccine I had today. But burning within me to, to do a long journey through the book of Genesis, I was feeling it the other day. There is no book of the Bible like Genesis. I know I say that a lot, but I just don't be surprised if, if, if that eventually is a part of the near future. I just, I love that book, The Onset of Sorrow and the Dawn of Hope. Oh, so much wrapped up in Genesis, but I can't, I, we're slogging through Hebrews. And you know, I, you know, we want to do Hosea sometime this year too, but yeah, um, so many good themes, so many good stories in Genesis. Oh, wow. Who treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the spirit of grace. This one hurts the most. Why does this hurt the most? Because it brings in the Holy Spirit. It's as if to say, and I can't prove this, but it just gives me just enough pause of unpardonable sin territory. 
There's something about that hardening of the heart that's going to insult the Holy Spirit in the way that which the Pharisees did with Jesus, where he's like, you know what, there's no more, there's no more forgiveness. You can't be forgiven of that. What's going to pay that debt? And that fits because it just says here in the, a few verses prior, what sacrifice is left at that point? So this gives me just a little bit of hope with younger me. Yes, I was a hypocrite. But I wasn't hard in my heart because I always turned back to God. I always felt convicted. I always came before and I, I, I confessed my sins. I didn't truly repent, but I was kind of like in process. Eventually, 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 I looked back. I'm like, yep, okay, finally something happened. And I turned and okay, but, I, but yeah. The Pharisees never would repent. They, they, they were so hard that they were just full-on apostatized. They're not at all. They, but that's what we're dealing with here. That person God is going to judge. I don't think that person's going to care. I don't think the Pharisees cared. If you care, I guarantee you. I actually can't guarantee you because I'm not God. But I, I give you my guarantee. You haven't broken the unpardonable sin because you actually care if you do or not. The Pharisees, whatever, they were hard. If you're worried about these verses, as I have been, as I've been reading them right now, you're in a good spot because there's hope for your repentance. Because these reverses are doing what the law does. The law convicts you. The law hurts, but it hurts in a good way because it draws you to Jesus. It causes you to turn to God. If these verses hurt, Pay attention to that hurt. Turn to God. He's your only answer. So persevere. Let me make the screen go down here. So persevere. 32 to 39. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Remember. One of the questions is always fun to ask. You got a, a married couple and they're, they just can't stop fighting and they've been married for a while and they're just, they're just bickering nonstop and just, and he, he just like, oh man, I just, I can't stand her. She's like, I can't stand him. Just sit him down and go, what was it like when you were dating? When you were in each other's eyes and that kind of stuff. What was that like? What did you like about her? What did you like about him? What are some fun dates you went on? It's like remembering some of those good days, all of a sudden like, yeah, that's right. It, it goes beyond, you know, they look good in a pair of jeans kind of thing. It's like, yeah, I really liked how she was, you know, this way, or I really liked how he did this and he was really handy or whatever it was. It's like, remember, there's something about going back and remembering some of those good old days that's, yeah, there's something about that. Remember those earlier days when you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict. You know, we're not getting the impression that the, the, the recipients of the of this letter of Hebrews, that they're going through a lot of trial right now. They're going through some, but they're not presently going through it. But some of them actually had gone through it. Like they really had gone through some trial and some hardship and some persecution. They were living in the Roman world. Wow. When you endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. So maybe it wasn't you, but you stood next to your brother or sister who was going through it. And so you were there with them. This is good stuff to remember. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your own property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Dang. 
their stuff got seized by the state or something else, they realized, no, but my treasure's in heaven. I don't need my stereo. I don't need whatever it is. Like, no, 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 you can take this. It doesn't matter. What matters is I'm going to heaven. Huge, huge perspective on suffering right here. Mic drop, mic drop, mic drop. This is suffering 101 when life really sucks. And for those of us who look at the government and the society and go, oh gosh, where are we going? Where are we going? Let's say we get here. Let's say this ends up being our present or future. Oh, well, we now know how we are to live. We are to live like they were once living. This is good for us. Even if everything just goes to hell in a handbasket, we who hold to Jesus, we're like, we're going to heaven. Why do I have to worry about this? I mean, these are people whose rights were being taken away by whatever, government, despots, other people, and yet they persevered. Wow. Verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And ooh, we get a Habakkuk moment. Remember a few months ago, we were in Habakkuk and we mentioned Hebrews 10. But my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. The shrink back ones are the ones that a few verses prior were abandoning or rejecting. They were just not a part of it. It's like, yeah, remember, don't throw it away. Live for the well done. One day, oh faithful Christian, you will get to heaven and hear, well done. That ain't your stake. That's your eternity. Well done, good and faithful servant. Your master is happy. Huge. Huge. We who are more on the codependent side, we live for the well done of others. We want that at a boy. We want that at a girl. We live for that. We can't wait. I struggle with this mightily. We can't wait to get an opinion, especially if it's a good opinion. But that's not to be you. You are living. You want to be on stage? Be on stage. Have at it. But just remember, there's only one cat in your audience. Jesus. His claps are all that matter. You want to hear him say, well done. You want to live for the opinion of others? I can't stop it. Some of you just went, oh, thank God. But the only opinion you're living for is Jesus. Well, that's not fair. Too bad. You're living for his well done. Wear the uniform. If you're claiming faith, be faithful. How dare you claim faith and then not live it? That cannot be you. And for starters, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are hanging off the tree of the, the branches of the tree that is your life. And if they are not, you now, you now know how you need to pray for yourself. And you know how you need to repent if the other fruits are on your tree instead. 
God's team is going to win, so get on God's team. As long as you're on God's team, wear the uniform. Wear the uniform. That's what I wasn't doing so many years ago. Not at all. And I regret those years. I thank God for allowing those memories to stick in my craw. To remind me that that's who I was. That is not who I am to be. The blue text here, your faith changes. Yeah, God's team is one. Time to act like it. Your faith changes. Your faith actually should, should, should impact you. Your repentance. You have things I'm sure stirring within your heart you need to repent of. You're hearing these things. You're hearing me tell my story. You're like, oh, gosh, I've got things I need to repent, like turn away from. Yeah, pay attention to that. Your, your faith, your faith, your, your, it's like persevere with your faith, persevere with your practice, persevere with your repentance, persevere with your perspective. You're living for that well done. I want to close with something that was really odd this week. And I, I didn't, I, did, I, I don't want to talk about it, but I will, because I think it needs to be talked about. When I talk about this, you who are listening, whether here in this Zoom or in, in podcast land, by the way, thank you. Thank you for those who listen in, in, in our, to this podcast. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for, for your continued encouragement. I have MS. Everyone is pretty, they really want me to get the COVID vaccine. Okay. Everyone, everyone's just like, yep, Joel, we can't, you, you're one of the people that, you know, I'm immunocompromised. It's like, okay, everyone has been very cool with me. It's like, yeah, you're good. You, you don't have to rush back to do anything. We all understand you are the outlier. You are the one we're all trying to protect. We get it. We get it. We get it. And I'm like, fine. I'm not, I don't find I don't consider myself like, you know, weak or anything like that, but it's like, I get it. I get it. It hasn't been easy to get a vaccine appointment. My, my wife, she's awesome. She got us involved with a, a ministry that, that care, care, cares for the homeless. And we don't have to be anywhere. We could deliver food, that kind of stuff. And so we were delivering food, but what ends up happening is I went up a tier where it's like all of a sudden I could get the COVID vaccine earlier because of this, they considered me a frontline worker. I'm like, okay, wow. Um, you know, even though I'm not there with the people, I'm handling food that are going to be, for, okay, so there it is. So I'm like, wow, my Jen, you're great. You're getting me the COVID vaccine earlier. Wow. So now I am not waiting longer, but, but that makes the frustration harder because you're putting, there's just not enough vaccine. Well, I, you know, got my, got my name on all the lists. I got, you know, set all the settings. Okay. Text me, email me, call me, whatever you got to do. Let me know. And everyone's like, Joel, you're going to get the vaccine, right? Joel, you're going to get the vaccine, right? You we're waiting for you to, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I'm doing what I can. I'm, I, I, what I do that, what you can't control, you trust God, what you can control honor God. Okay. There I am. And so I'm like, okay, I got an appointment. I felt good about it. I show up for the appointment and this is something where all of a sudden I started to not feel good about it. There's, I'm going to share this and you may feel hurt when I share this. You may feel like I'm coming down on you and I'm not coming down on you. And you'll understand what I mean by that in just a moment here. I'm sharing this because it's my story. 
and it's my convictions and it's my issues. I'm not talking about you and your issues. So please do not be offended hearing this. But I showed up for this vaccine appointment. Of the three vaccines right now, there's one that has some moral stigmas with it. I have a background in bioethics. I remember the early days of my MS, stem cell therapies were very big. I remember an argument I used to make in my early 20s saying, you know what, I'm not letting some baby die so I cannot have MS anymore. You see, one of these vaccines has a stigma. And that enough Christians are like pushing back on it saying, wait a minute, boarded parts and no. And so I show up to this appointment, I'm losing sleep, and it happens to be that vaccine. And I've got people texting me, Joel, have you thought about this? And I'm like, Jennifer, my wife is like, Joel, have you thought about this? And can we do this? And what are we doing? And I'm like, but, but everyone wants me to get the vaccine. And I'm there. And I'm sitting in front of this army guy. And I'm about ready to, he's like, all you have to do, sir, is just use your finger and sign this screen. And then you've got it, you get your vaccine. And that moment, I was like a put up or shut up moment for me. Like, I want this vaccine. I want to get back to my life. I want to be able to be, make people happy again. I want to be able to be with people. I want this. I want that. And yeah, I'm not going to name names. You can, you, can, you can check out your vaccines. There's one vaccine that has a moral dubious nature to it, okay? It just has the other, the other two big vaccines don't have what this one has. Well, this just happened to be the one. I, I show up there. I'm like, Ugh. I looked across the table to the the guy. He was, he was this, this whole place facility was full of men and women in uniform. The army gentleman there, the I don't know what rank he was. Or I just looked across the table. He's in uniform, and I said, "This is this vaccine, right?" He says, "Yes, sir." And I said, "I can't do it." What do you do in that moment when everything makes sense, but you just can't do it? I said, sir, I got to stand up. And he's calling other guys over in uniform. And he's just like, well, what do we do? He's saying, and he's actually pulling back. He's not doing that. He's pulling out. He's not doing this. What, what, what do we? And they're like, well, he, 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 he can say no. I mean, and so another guy in uniform just, you know, calmly walked me out, escorted me from the building. You know, there was no issue. I'm like, no, I've let everybody down. But here's why I slept that night. I was feeling if I did that, I was going to be letting God down. I would be compromising for the sake of something. These are the kinds of questions that younger me wasn't asking. These are the kinds of feelings that younger me wasn't, wasn't turning to and struggling with. I'm not condemning you or judging you if you took that vaccine or if you would take that vaccine. I'm not talking about you at all. I'm talking about me. You see, we look at who's gonna, who God's going to judge in verses 26 to 31. I'm not so much worried about that with you. I'm concerned about your struggle. Would you have that kind of struggle that I had? I'm not talking about the abortion issue right now. I'm talking about morality and, and, and completion. Are you having, like, what matters to God 
matters so much to you that you might actually get up from that table and walk away. I know I let some people down. The people that meant most to me were proud of me. The people whose voices I needed to hear were proud of me. They respected my decision. Sitting at that table was the great crisis of my soul. And what really sucked was I couldn't get a hold of anybody. It's like that whole room, the cell phones weren't working. And I, I, I tried calling. I'm like, nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm like, oh gosh, it's, got, it's all on me right now and just me. Oh, what am I going to do? Because no one else is going to help me make this decision. It's just me. What you do in those moments matters the most. I don't know what that moment is for you. You have probably like two or three of those moments in your life. I had one this week. And I'll never forget that. I just told, you know, I couldn't do it. I'll put my name back on the list. And who knows what will happen for the other two vaccines. But I can't do this one. I showed up for my vaccine today and I'm telling the lady, just a reminder, right? This is, what, what vaccine is this? And she said, well, it's this one. I'm like, okay, good. Have those moments. The kind of person who's a hypocrite wouldn't have those moments. I used to never have those moments. God means so much to me that I did not want to live the rest of my life wondering about a decision I could have made. Instead, making a harder decision. A decision that was going to let some people down. But I was going to sleep that night. Because I knew I honored God. And there's things I couldn't control. I was going to trust him with it. But there were things I could control. I tell that to people a lot. I'll never forget that time sitting across that man at that table. That army guy just wanting my signature to get me out of his, get me along the line. I went back to my early 20s and I said, you know what? That young man that I come after a lot. He took a stand. I can still take that stand. I'm not going to have some little baby die so that I could not have COVID. That was where I rested. I don't know what your issue is. I don't know what your struggle is. You may read verses 26 to 31 and it may hurt like it hurt me, but there's still hope. Live for that well done. Continue to seek honor God. Continue to trust him.
We'll see you next week in, in a much more entertaining chapter 11. God bless. <laughs>